0: Cycling: A history of our wonderful spot for the discerning listener We all like to complain about the King of the Mountains competition, don't we? Well, a lot of us do. One avenue of complaint is that the scoring system favors the GC guys too much, so that it becomes a mere afterthought, a byproduct of the race for the yellow jersey, a prize that the winner hasn't been targeting in the first place and doesn't really treasure on the podium in Paris. This school of whinge has been borne out by the identity of some of the winners over the last few years. Chris Froome won it last year. Does anyone even remember that? It's difficult to recall, as even though he held the jersey for 10 days of the 2015 Tour de France, he held yellow for that entire duration also, so he never actually wore the polka dot jersey on the road, only for podium presentations which don't usually get broadcast on live television anyway. In 2013, the polka dot jersey was won by Nairo Quintana, Again, you'd be forgiven for trying to picture the Colombian actually wearing the jersey, as he did so for only one day, the trip to Paris along the Champs-Élysées. I'm sure Quintana treasures his victory in this competition somewhat, but it's not what he was trying to win. Froome and Quintana's reigns as king of the mountains have come since significant changes were made to the scoring system, so that it very much favours GC riders over stage hunters or points hoovers. But therein lies another avenue for complaint. If the scoring system isn't such that it is now, the competition is left wide open to be won by riders who are not considered to be among the best climbers in the sport. And this too is evidenced by the identities of some of the winners in recent years. Thomas Vockler, Anthony Charteau and Bernard Cole. Would they even be in a list of the top 50 climbers competing in the Tour de France in which each of them won it? Perhaps not. So these guys can call themselves kings of the mountains, Apart from Cole, of course, he got busted for doping. While some of the genuine best climbers the sport has ever seen never managed to win this competition. Marco Pantani, Miguel Indurain, Lance Armstrong, Greg LeMond and Pedro Delgado. But what all those riders have in common is that they all won the Tour. Bigger fish to fry. They were never interested in polka dots. So while we may complain now that it's the Baradours like Thomas de Ghent and Thomas Vaucler who have shown an interest in this prize it was ever thus, opportunistic riders who enjoy a breakaway and who are decent climbers. But occasionally you find a rider who spends most of their career aiming for stage wins and polka dots only to eventually realise they could actually sustain a genuine challenge for the yellow jersey. Michael Rasmussen was one such rider. He won the King of the Mountains in 2005 and 2006 and would have won the Tour in 2007 had he not been thrown out by his own team. Claudio Chiapucci was another one, a double polka dot jersey winner who harboured genuine hopes of toppling the great Miguel Indurain. But perhaps the most interesting case of all was Lucien van Impe, not least because he was from Belgium, a country where nary a mountain is to be seen hither and yon. He had already won the polka dot jersey three times before 1976, when a young Cyril Guimard took over as director sportif on his Gitan team for the 1976 Tour de France. Graham Fife writes about their relationship in his book, Inside the Peloton, Riding, Winning and Losing the Tour de France. Guimard shares with Eric Cantona a penchant for queer analogy. When you are free, he said, meaning free of responsibility, the river runs and you can pick out a fish whenever you choose. Responsibility demands that you master both the river and the fish in it. That was something Lucien Van Impe shied away from, He did not want it, but I won as manager the moment he accepted the responsibility of going for the overall win. It was, however, no easy task. He had to force Van Imps' nature. I don't choose to say that it was friendly, because when you force someone's nature, you force him into a different system, and in doing that you violate some deep part in him, and that violence on the psychological plane is difficult to support or be friendly about. I got him to win the tour, but any more would probably have been impossible. He didn't have the mental structure. His nature was to keep out of trouble, to avoid cares or responsibility. There is in that last sentence the unspoken word, shirk. And indeed, after the first win, Van Imp relaxed again. He had his marshal's baton. That is how the French put it ambition's supreme goal achieved. As Guimard told me Van Imp was practically impossible to beat in the mountains. He was a pocket dynamo, but the time trials were a problem. However, if he had an objective firmly planted in his head, he might succeed. This had to be a transformation worthy of Svengali. To convince the reticent climbing specialist of the possibility, no more the possibility, of extending his power in the mountains to the rest of the race, to establish his power on terrain where, on past showing, he could not depend on control, to make him impose himself. For a man who looked like a schoolboy and stood about as tall as one, imposing himself on the Tour de France was going to be monumentally difficult. It's fair to say that many of the big men in the peloton shrank from the all-or-nothing attitude to sacrifice, which is the hallmark of the champion. Ambition comes in all weights. Failure lives on excuses, and men who too often pursue small things generally become incapable of great things. But although he was mostly written off as an outsider and no real contender for final yellow, there were signs that Guimard had indeed shifted his attitude. For a month before the race, he did everything, eat, train, go to bed, an hour later than usual, so that when he crossed into France, an hour ahead, his body rhythms would be perfectly adjusted. Guimard is one of those exceptional readers of strategy and mental state who thinks of everything. It is not difficult, though, to see how Van Imp must have flinched, Guimard was three months younger, of an explosive, ebullient temperament, a hard-headed, stubborn Breton who thought a lot of himself and made excessive demands in proportion. He was a superlative competitor, a racer by instinct. Van Imp had none of that. Questioned about him, Guimard replied, Let's say that he's rather cautious. He won't take tactical initiative. He doesn't really understand racing. And this was the rider he was pushing to win the Tour de France. Initiative, responsibility, obligation were the key. If the team were prepared to ride with total commitment to Van Imp, he must be equally prepared to answer an absolute obligation to them. The big prize they could all share in, the lesser prize would be his alone. That was the choice. Therein lay the mutual contract and the individual onus of leadership. Convincing Van Imp he could actually win the race was one thing. Getting him to carry out the tangible actions of a tour winner was quite another. Jeffrey Nicholson's seminal account of the 1976 tour, called The Great Bike Race, goes into some detail about the famous incident which led to Van Imp winning the 1976 Tour de France. Guimard wants his man to make a frontal attack in the middle of the stage and win back the yellow jersey by minutes, not seconds. When Dylan drops back to the team car for water bottles on the Spanish section, he returns with a message for Van Imp. Guimard, he says in Flemish, asks you to attack. Van Imp whistles through his teeth and says it's mad, nor does he budge when Luis Ocaña strikes away. Then Raymond Martin arrives with a more emphatic message. Guimard says you must attack now. If he wants me to attack, says Van Imp, he must come and tell me himself. And that is what Guimard does, driving up the narrow road beside the peloton, klaxon going to deliver his ultimatum. It was that moment or never to win the tour, Van Imp still has no faith in the move, but reluctantly he obeys. He attacks on the climb to the Portillon and at the second attempt gets clear away with roughly 70 kilometers covered and still the same distance to go. The curious factor in the relationship between rider and manager is that Guimard, one time leader in the Tour and even now in spite of his administrative job, cyclocross champion of France, is three months younger than Van Imp of a contrasting temperament, far more bustling and decisive, and of a different nationality, Guimar seems to have an impatient liking for his rider, but far more respect for his talent as a rider than for his attitude towards racing. The following week, Guimar is interviewed in Le Keep and describes his task as making Van Imp do what he has never dared to do before. He is a boy who makes sure of everything, who never takes risks, and it must be said that there are others like him in the peloton, some of the big men among them. Above all, he's a big schoolboy who has never taken initiatives or accepted responsibilities. He likes life, for it has been very kind to him. In fact, he behaves in the peloton as in life, like a child. You have to understand that in Belgium, the cyclist, especially if he is a champion, is a sort of little god to whom everything is allowed. The yellow jersey has made Van Imp more aware of his obligations to his team. But where tactical initiatives are concerned, let us say that his behaviour is still a bit evasive. I don't think he understands racing particularly well, mainly because he has never tried to understand it. To improve on his previous level, he has had to accept that he must give more of himself. He is afraid of collapsing and dreads a prolonged effort. When I asked him to attack on the Portalon, I was forcing him to go against his nature. Then he discovered that the effort was not beyond his strength. He was capable of doing things he hadn't done before. Van Imp accepted the instructions, made his move and won the tour. Van Imp and Guimar parted ways in 1978, and perhaps this was a relief to Van Imp, as, now a tour winner, he settled back into the more comfortable role of chasing more polka dot jerseys. He won three more before he retired to make a total of six, emulating his hero from the 1950s and 60s, the Spanish climber Federico Bahamontes.